For KOSU News, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and ACLU Oklahoma Executive Director Ryan Kiesel. Oklahomans are voting on five state questions on November 6th, and over the next few weeks, I want to get your thoughts on these measures. So we'll start with the only one to actually come from an initiative petition of the people. State question 793 changes the Oklahoma Constitution to allow big box stores like Walmart to have optometrists and eye exams. Neva, what are your thoughts on state question 793? Well, I think it's going to be fascinating because, as you say, this is a constitutional uh, uh, change as opposed to uh, uh, legislative. And I think I think the the fact that it locks it in is going to be one of the one of the big issues I think folks are going to have to look at and what they think about that when they talk about 47 states already having something like this uh, 47 states uh, have done it through legislation uh, we're talking about locking it in the Constitution where the legislature then has no ability to really uh, tweak adjust to deal with issues that may come up as we know always do um, and they will be uh, basically locked out of that I think it's fascinating that Walmart Walmart took this approach. I mean, they got the signatures basically with folks sitting in their uh, stores, uh, more than double the number of signatures needed. So, uh, I mean, they they came full force at, at this with from a very strong uh, position and obviously a lot of money to spend in this versus the optometrist in the state who, you know, are trying to lay out their case uh, to the to the points that are contrary to. So there's going to be, I think, th- I think there's going to be a lot of confusion initially in the minds of the bo- voters. I mean, what, what this really means, is it about low cost or is it about, uh, you know, a question on quality? I mean, kind of the give and take on all of the issues. And I think this is a good one if voters are really interested in making an an informed decision, they should really look at the information on both sides. Yeah. Uh, Ryan. Well, and yeah, I think that when it, looking at the pros and cons on this, I feel like I'm in an optometry office where it's like, does this look better? <laughs> one about this? or two. One or two, <laughs> two or one. And and I, I, I do, I'll see, I see both sides of this. What we're seeing play out here is this uh, a global economic issue playing out at the ballot box in Oklahoma, and that is um, Walmart, Target, uh, Costco, these other big box retailers trying to hedge themselves against online marketplaces like Amazon. So if they can plug in these delivery of services into their stores, that gives them an advantage over online retailers. That's really what they're trying to do here. I think what Neva said is the biggest problem with the ballot measure is that it's in the Constitution so that if the legislature in a year or two needs to come back and change this and maybe something comes up in one of these retail stores that they need to regulate or create a new rule around, it's in the Constitution. That makes it incredibly difficult to do. Uh, Now, at the same time, I think that some of what the optometrists are saying in terms of uh, what the scope of practice in these retail stores uh, are going to be limited to, it really seems to only be limited to uh, surgery, surgery in the retail space. And, you know, there is a bigger question then, and I think that that's what these optometrists are looking at. And trust me, I'm I'm very sympathetic to them as a former rural legislator. Most of my constituents were served by optometrists, not ophthalmologists. Mm -hmm. You know, they are very critical to eye care in their communities, is whether or not if this passes and you have Walmarts or Costcos or Targets or whoever it is plugging these places into their stores, is it economically viable to be an optometrist, in particular in these small rural communities? That may be a separate policy question. And I think one, if we're as Oklahomans committed to making sure that people have access to quality health care, including quality care for their eyes, 
that we need to be investing in, in uh, healthcare there. Right, and it's also worse because you've you've seen we've seen communities. Uh, Pahuska is a great example of a community where Walmart came in and basically drove out all the small businesses, right. and then Walmart left. Right, and I think th- and I think that is going to be maybe one of the real overarching questions is: Do you have an out of state corporation basically come in and and in essence, uh, some would argue, take control of a medical profession by how they are approaching this and by taking the really uh, uh, approach of we're going to do it constitutionally so we really don't have to ever deal with the legislature. The legislature, you know, in rural communities where the where the lawmakers come back and really would uh, be in a position to hear from those optometrists at the local, you know, on Main Street and uh, and be influenced by that and, and how that's affecting their communities. If it's about a corporate bottom line and they're going to dictate, uh, you know, what, what the pressure is in terms of sales and the quality and which products are going to be, you know, uh, uh, really uh, uh, utilized and all of those things that have been arguments that have already been thrown out there uh, by the opponents. I mean, again, I think we're talking about uh, an issue that uh, has a lot of different dimensions to it, and folks need to be very uh, deliberate in looking at this before they make their decision. State House Minority Leader Steve Copeland is calling for a special session to deal with the medical marijuana law passed by voters in July. He and the three Democrats on the committee examining medical marijuana policy say the state needs legislative action to set labeling and testing guidelines. Ryan, do you see urgency here? Why can't we wait till February? Well, and I think that that's probably just in reality what's going to happen. It seems unlikely that the Republican members of the committee or that the governor herself are going to call a special session. Governor Fallon has made it incredibly clear multiple times that she does not see a special session on medical marijuana implementation before her term's over. I mean, I think that she's done. I don't think that they're going to come back. I think that there are these uh, outstanding questions we've seen in some municipalities as to you know how how they can zone uh, some questions about taxation or licensing fees. I think some of those are are going to be resolved in litigation even before the legislature comes back in February. The testing and licensing requirements. I think that that is uh, that's a that's a key issue. But at the same time. Most of your legitimate operators in the state of Oklahoma are going to be implementing their own protocols in-house anyways. They're working with out-of-state consultants that are coming in. They're going to have they're going to have that, and they're going to know that the consumer wants that. I think really one of the things that we're seeing right now with, with the Democratic caucus is a recognition, and we've seen it among Republicans as well, that medical marijuana is an incredibly popular issue and one that goes across political lines, across partisan boundaries, and people are trying to stake out positions ahead of November saying, we're here, we're committed to protecting uh, this implementation and see that it's done right. Calls for the special session you know, may be one step towards that, but I think it's still very unlikely that we see anything before February. Even if we don't get a special session, uh, we come to February last year, there were competing marijuana bills and nothing really got passed, nothing really got done. Do you think that maybe we could actually see something get done? I think so. I think for, for the reason Ryan just stated, um, I think that uh, people recognize that the issue passed, the voters wanted this uh, in place, and now they want to see the legislature do their work uh, to make sure that there is a comprehensive regulatory um, process and, and uh, rules put into place that all of the issues, uh, a- including some that are just now beginning to uh, uh, just beginning to, to uh, come up, like a waste disposal of, of the, uh, the marijuana, a lot, a lot of issues that are coming up with the first crop, uh, as I understand it, uh, uh, will be available in January. I mean, we've got a, to- we've got a lot of things timing-wise that are crunched up against this election 
election. But I, what I don't think the public wants to see are people pandering and taking cheap shots and politicizing this. Let's do the work, which the committee, I think, is in earnest trying to do. I mean, bringing, bringing the experts in, bringing people in from out of state, dealing with, the, uh, with all of the, the, the uh, parties that have been involved from the beginning in terms of uh, 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 pushing this uh, forward and, and uh, all the way through the passage with the voters. So, you know, I think I think there is a process. I think it may be at times, you know, grinding slow. Mm-hmm. I mean, but, it, you know, almost to a screeching halt uh, uh, that uh, that folks uh, become somewhat frustrated with as they as they read and watch and see what's going on. But the bottom line is, uh, I, I would agree with Ryan, it has to move along as best as possible. And then it will be one of the very first major issues mm-hmm. that the next uh, legislature will face in February. And do you think we can actually see some bipartisan work here? When, I, I think we're then? already seeing it. I mean, I, you know, Democrats are staking out uh, a piece of the of the territory, the political territory here. But I think by and large, uh, what we've seen is is a real bipartisan commitment to making this work, especially and, this committee and the work together. And they, Democrats are doing. I'm sure that Republicans will will do will say something uh, uh, between now and November on marijuana as well. I mean, statewide elected officials. This is going to become a litmus test for candidates, and I'm sure that one of the reason that uh, the minority leader in in the House, Steve Copeland, went in front of the media and said we need to do this is because he and his members and their Democratic candidates across the state out there on those doorsteps or at county fairs right now talking to folks, they're hearing that they want something done about medical marijuana, that they want the will of the the people to be respected, and they want a responsible implementation of medical marijuana in Oklahoma. And so, you know, one of the things that if you're a politician that you have to just let people know we're, we're engaged in this, we're doing this work, and we see some urgency here as well. And so I think that that's, that's what we're seeing. But I, by and large, uh, I think it would be um, I think it would be a big mistake for both parties uh, if we walk into no, if we walk into February and medical marijuana has become a partisan issue. Do you think so you see any kind of a special session possibly? Or I really don't. And the only the only conversation I've really heard, and I don't, and I think it's it's not really very realistic conversation, is that there if there were to be a special session, it would be after the November election, you know, but before the before the uh, the full uh, body convenes in February. Uh, but again, timing and expense and whether that's really uh, and 40% needed new members it needed. Yeah, I mean whether that all makes sense, I think is highly questionable at this point. U.S. Senator James Lankford wants the federal government to take better care of immigrant children in custody. He's part of a bipartisan group of senators working on legislation requiring the Department of Human Services to do background checks on sponsors who take in the children, as well as ensuring they show up for court proceedings and notify state officials when placing a minor in the state. It also increases the number of immigration court judges, which President Trump has opposed. Neva, how much of a long shot is this measure? I I don't know that it's a long shot. I think really when you look at it, it's a very well-crafted piece of legislation where they are taking really the four uh, major points that you, you that you talked mm-hmm. about, Michael. I mean, the clarification of HHS responsibilities, uh, uh, the care of these uh, un, uh, unaccompanied uh, alien children, the state notification when they come into the, the individual states, and then the, the need for these additional immigration judges. I mean, those are points that I think are bipartisan. I think folks uh, on both sides of the aisle see this as something that needs to be clarified, addressed, uh, and 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 quickly. And I think when you look at, uh, for instance, uh, uh, Senator Senator Portman from Ohio. I mean, one of the one of the specific uh, uh, instances that was noted um, in in the conversation was that HHS uh, placed eight children with human traffickers that were forced into uh, into forced labor.
Arbor in Ohio. So, I mean, those were specific instances brought before the, you know, committee. So they're not talking just numbers. They're not talking that, look, we made 11,000 calls and we, and 1,500 of them, we couldn't get to answer the phone or we couldn't locate. Uh, we had, you know, we had some, uh, uh, some issues with some that are, you know, AWOL or, or can't, can't be found. It's not, it's not a statistical uh, game. It is the fact that it must be fixed, and w- and we're talking about human lives. And I, you know, and I think this is a this is a, uh, a very important issue. And I'm glad to see that it's being addressed in a very bipartisan manner. Ryan, you know, I'm glad to see Senator Langford step up on this, I, I, in particular on the uh, the number of immigration judges. I mean, what we're seeing is this huge backlog. There's a, a really great episode of This American Life that aired on KOSU, I think, earlier uh, this week, mm-hmm. and you can go online and listen to it again that really did an in-depth look at what these immigration courts look like and what that zero-tolerance policy of uh, President Trump's looks like at the bo- at the border where people are being prosecuted, individuals are having their asylum claims denied, individuals are being co- coerced out of signing away their otherwise legitimate asylum claims. But what I would say to Senator Langford is that this really falls far short of what we really need from him in the United States Senate right now. The Republicans have such a slim majority in the United States Senate that his voice and his vote carry an enormous amount of power and an enormous amount of weight. And this bill is a far cry from the real repudiation of President Trump's immigration policies that the people of the United States actually need. I mean, we've got a president right now who um, has separated thousands of families, kept children in, uh, in jails that's coerced, again, re- uh, coerced refugees to sign away legitimate asylum claims. And you know, I think that we as a nation need an immigration conversation, but that conversation needs to be imbued with dignity and respect. And those words are so foreign to President Trump that I think that he's asked that Attorney General Jeff Sessions have a zero tolerance policy towards them uh, if they tried to enter into his administration. But but let's also be clear that many of these issues um, have have been going on even in the previous administration. This is not something that just happened yesterday. This has been an ongoing issue now for years. Uh, and and I think the fact that we're seeing again a bipartisan effort in in the in the uh, uh, in the Congress in the Senate to to address this is significant. I mean, uh, we didn't come up with a seven hundred thousand case backlog with these immigration judges. Eighty thousand uh, of those being uh, specifically what we're talking about. Uh, you know, with these uh, with these these folks in question, but the even adding 225 additional immigration judges. I mean, we're we're having to deal with such a big issue. I mean, incrementally, but the fact that they are systematically looking at it and addressing it uh, at the core of where the real where the real issues are, I think is refreshing. I mean, I think the fact that that we're seeing this uh, in the backdrop of a a political season when we know that it's a very contentious national uh, picture in terms of Republicans and Democrats competing in many of these uh, seats across the country. So um, I I think you're right. I mean, Senator Langford has uh, has grown to be a very strong uh, and effective voice in the United States Senate on uh, on a variety of issues. And, uh, you know, I applaud him on this one in particular for taking the for taking a very strong stand. But I, I think until Republican senators, um, re- Republican members of the United States Senate begin to use their voice and their votes to hold this president accountable, what we're going to continue to see are remediation efforts like this. Um, and, and Neva mentioned that you know, what we've, you know, the immigration backlog and the immigration problems that we see right now didn't start with this administration. That's absolutely true. But what did start with this administration was the zero tolerance prosecute everyone in a criminal court of law 
uh, at the United States border by U.S. attorneys and put them into a criminal proceeding that's led to these either family separations or people, families being housed together in jail-like facilities. You know, that's that's what's changed here. And um, in the process, what we've seen is thousands of individuals fleeing economic, political, uh, economic, political, uh, and and uh, gang violence in Central and South America. Uh, coming to the United States and entering up into a criminal proceeding. And that's where Senator Lankford's vote and voice, I think, could have some influence on this administration, on this and many other fronts. The State Ethics Commission once again passes a rule saying for two years after leaving office, elected officials or agency heads can't lobby other elected officials or use their influence on an agency or represent a third party at the Capitol for compensation. Now, the commission passed this cooling off rule last year and it was rejected by lawmakers in February. Ryan, why would the Ethics Commission think next session would be any different? Well, first of all, you're going to have a brand new crop of legislators. I mean, we've, we've talked that we're going to see 40 plus new faces in the legislature. We're going to see a brand new governor. We're going to see uh, the, the, the whole landscape at the Capitol changes. And I do think that one of the key issues that we're going to see uh, on the campaign trail this November at a national level, and, and as we've seen, uh, national politics has a way of becoming local politics. National politics, I think there's going to be a referendum on corruption and transparency. And people um, are rallying behind this idea that we have to have some accountability, that we have to have increased transparency in the way that our government works, especially as it becomes more complicated and more complex. The bureaucratic institutions of both the state and the federal government are wielding more power than they ever have before, and oftentimes are the ones that are really writing these laws after legislators have gone back home and are back at their county fairs and pie suppers. And so having former legislators that understand that system be able to walk in and uh, have an undue influence and, and to manipulate that process potentially. I think it's very concerning to voters, and I think the Ethics Commission is right to say that there ought to be this cooling off period. Now, that said, we've had, with term limits and high turnover among <laughs> legislators, it's not like we have you know, these storied politicians of past, you know, the, the Gene Stipes, the, the David Borens, the, the folks whose names are household names, uh, and even, you know, Fred Morgan, you know, f- you know folks from the, from the recent uh, history of the Republican Party. Now it's state chamber now at the state chamber those folks are largely gone and so now you walk into the capitol and i think most agency heads would be hard pressed to be able to pick out a majority of of lawmakers and name them by name i can't name them they always seem so young (laughs) (laughs) your thoughts well i I do think that that the likelihood is that the legislature will reject this uh, when they come back in uh in in the in the upcoming session because uh, for the for for one of the major reasons, the same one that was used by Representative John Paul Jordan, uh, who authored the resolution opposing it last time, it was overwhelmingly passed in the House, and he basically his his contention was that uh, that the rule that they were promulgating really dealt with private citizens and that uh, that they were overreaching. And I think that's been one of the you know kind of one of the give and takes back and forth between uh, the Ethics Commission and some of the folks that have opposed some of their uh, uh, some of their uh, suggested rule is that they have been overreaching. I mean, there's no question the Ethics Commission and what is in place now gives uh, gives the a very open, I believe, and transparent look at what's going on with uh, uh, with the elections. I mean, who, who's spending money, uh, where it's coming from, what it's being spent on, uh, uh, the independent expenditure groups to the extent that they're required to, you know, to do their reporting, lobbyists to the extent that they're re- required to do their reporting. I mean, there are things in place 
place, and those have grown, uh, you know, quite substantially over the last uh, decade. And so I think that, you know, I think this continued contentious atmosphere between the Ethics Commission and the legislature probably doesn't serve either uh, well. And and I think the bigger picture is how does it serve the public, which uh, should be the overarching question. Yeah, and this, uh, this, some people would argue that was this rule that led to the Ethics Commission being uh, cut in their budget, and now they're suing the state legislature. So, I mean, it's it's. I mean, I think there's a direct correlation between. It. I yeah. Think so that, is, is know, them basically totally saying no? We're not going to step back, even though you've you've done this. And to and, us? They, and and you know they shouldn't step back. They're a they're a constitutional body. They are a constitutionally created entity, and they deserve the respect of an institution that's uh, put in our constitution uh, to make sure that we have accountability and transparency. And I'll, I'll agree with Neva that the accountability and transparency is probably greater than it's ever been with the folks that are having to report. Uh, but when we look at dark money, when we look at independent expenditure groups, that's getting harder and harder. And with the number, with the proliferation of organizations that even if they are reporting, being able to connect the dots as the average citizen, I think is becoming more complex and more difficult. So, I mean, I, I do think that Neva's right. They'll probably re- reject these rules, um, but it doesn't mean that the Ethics Commission shouldn't keep putting them out there. And if the if the lawmakers are going to go out on the campaign trail, folks like uh, gubernatorial candidate uh, Kevin Stitt are going to go out on the campaign trail and invoke the Donald Trump outsider uh, out, outsider mantra of draining the swamp. Well, this is this is one of those drain the swamp moments. And when we saw the Republican controlled legislature last year say, eh, well, that's that's D.C. This is Oklahoma. Uh, we're, we're OK with it here. I, I think that we need to reexamine what their actual motivations are. Former Oklahoma State Senator Ralph Shorty is now spending the next 15 years in prison for one count of child sex trafficking. Shorty resigned his Senate seat shortly after charges were filed over his involvement with a 17-year-old boy in March of 2017. Neva, your thoughts? Well, I think, uh, first of all, I think the judge imposed far less time than uh, prosecutors had sought, and yet uh, more time than than uh, 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 Ralph Shorty had requested or his attorneys on his behalf. So I think uh, I think this closes a very uh, a, a very dark, regrettable chapter uh, in 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 the. Uh, uh, state Senate and what what occurred with him uh, being in office at the time. Um, I I do think that um, uh, I think that it really gave rise to a lot of folks across the state and really you know looking at again during the election season looking at candidates and wanting to really uh, uh, wanting to know more about who's running uh, what the, what the, what their background is what their characters like and uh, you know hopefully we will not uh, see this uh, chapter repeated anytime soon. Right. I mean I think it's 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 a sad chapter in, in Oklahoma history. We, we saw a state senator who I rarely, if ever, agreed with on, on anything, uh, you know, nevertheless end up in the criminal justice system, now in prison for 15 years. Um, you know, there's a, 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 you know, multiple families broken apart as a result of this. Uh, and then, you know, it comes to light in the sentencing, the childhood trauma that Senator Shorty apparently experienced himself that, you know, possibly could have, you know, led to uh, the mental uh, illness that, it maybe led him to commit crimes like this or to, to overlook the, the otherwise thing that everybody else in their head says, don't do this, that he still went ahead and did that. Um, you know, it's, it's regrettable. It's, it's sad for uh, both the survivors uh, of the crime and for the family of Senator Shorty as well. And Ryan and Neva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the ACLU, KOSU, its staff, or management.